Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, as always, Tyler Crawley. And I got to be honest with you, I don't know where to start today's pod because there was so much good news happening yesterday. It's kind of, I don't know where to start. And I'm not, I'm not being facetious. I'm not joking. There was actually a lot of good things that happened yesterday. And I don't know where to begin. You know what? Let's start with probably the most surprising news, the good news of the day. And that would be what happened on Wall Street. It was a good day. It was a big day. It was an up day. And you know it was an up day because now all of a sudden everyone's like, you know what? Maybe we bottomed. Maybe now we're back on the up and up. Probably not the case. Just throwing that out there. Uh, but the Dow actually led the way up almost 2%. Uh, the S&P was up about 1.86%, and the NASDAQ almost up 1.6%. So a positive day on Wall Street. People actually enjoyed looking at their 401ks or IRAs or just regular stock accounts. Feel a little better here as we start this Tuesday morning. But that was only one of, I think, a lot of good reports, or I should say, uh, good things that happened yesterday. And one of those being a report that we got from the Federal Reserve, and it was talking about the year 2021. Now, 2021 was kind of a weird year because at the start of 2021, people were not happy. I mean, we were, we were entering year two of a pandemic. We sure we had a vaccine, which was now being more widely distributed, and people were happy about that. But the pandemic had gone on much longer <laughs> than the two weeks that a lot of people thought that it was going to be happening. Lockdowns, masks, all of that. So that's how we start 2021. And as we move through 2021, things start opening back up. We see mass mandates go away. People are in a better mood. And then on top of it, they're just sitting on piles of cash that they had accumulated during the pandemic. So you end 2021, people are finally able to do things and they have the money to do them. So not surprisingly, the end of 2021, people were feeling, and I understand the end of 2021 was when we started having this inflation conversation, but that still was sort of like, oh, maybe it'll be transitory. And hey, you know what? We're just enjoying that things are getting back to normal. People are in a better financial position. And that was echoed in this report. Once again, from the Federal Reserve, it is the economic well-being of U.S. households in 2021 report, and it found that 78% of adults were either doing okay, which is kind of a interesting way to look at it, doing okay, or living comfortably financially, the highest share that they have seen since the survey began in 2013. So almost 10 years, highest rating they've seen since this survey started. And then also good news, 68% of adults said they would cover a $400 emergency expense exclusively using cash or its equivalent, which is up from 50% who answered the same way back in 2013. And that's always been kind of a stat that you'll see thrown around a lot. Politicians will bring it up. Others who are trying to advocate for a certain policy and providing stimulus or whatever it may be. 
And they'll say, people out there are struggling. They can't even afford a $400 emergency expense. And well, this report is telling us that at least at the end of 2021, people did feel, a majority of people did feel they would be able to cover that. And I have a feeling that those two stats are somewhat connected. Where if you're at the point where you do feel like not only are you making enough money to live, but you have extra money in case something were to happen, you are going to feel better about your financial situation. And so the fact that those numbers probably move in tandem, I would guess we will see next year when this report comes out and what numbers have changed. But I would bet that they tend to move together. And there was one group that was doing particularly well in 2021, and that was parents. And that, of course, was thanks to some new economic stimulus from the federal government in the form of the child tax credit. 75% of parents said they were doing at least okay financially, which was up eight percentage points from 2020. Now, most of, this is kind of interesting, most of the child tax care, or excuse me, child tax credits went to other expenses, not to children. Just slightly over two in 10 spending the most significant portion on their child. So the overwhelming majority went to, you know, car payments, house payments, food, whatever it may be, and didn't actually end up going to the child. Now, here's the thing that's kind of interesting about this is we all know, you know, money is fungible. And so I'm assuming if you're a good parent, this is usually the qualification of a good parent, is that if you have extra money, or I'm saying you want to give your child the best life possible. And so if you do have extra money, you're going to be giving it to your child. You're, you're going to want to get them the things that they need. And sure, you want to get them the things that they want, but you're going to give them the things that they need. And so when you do find yourself with extra money, maybe because you're already using your everyday expenses and giving that to your child, you can then use those extra expenses for necessities in your life. And so I'm going to take the sort of optimistic approach to this and say it wasn't that they weren't spending it on their child. It's they already were spending on their child and then they got some extra money and they could actually go to the necessities of their life and for other members of the family trying to put a positive spin on it as best that I can. Uh, And then the housing component of the report really just highlights the refinance activity that we saw in 2021, nearly one fourth of all homeowners with a mortgage refinanced in 2021, (laughs) one for 25. And you wonder why there's been some of a decline in refinances in 2022. Yeah. One fourth, nearly one fourth refied in 2021 and income played a part I wouldn't say it was huge, but you can see disparities between the different income classes. So people with an income of at least 100,000, so 100,000 plus, nearly three in 10 refied. And so that's above what the average was. People that made between 50 and 100,000 refinanced at about 23%, so slightly below. And then people with incomes under 50,000 only 16% were able to refi, which is unfortunate because they're probably, they would have benefited the most because they're the ones that need people making less than 50,000 are the people that need that little extra 
money they would save by refining. So it's kind of unfortunate that you didn't see that being a higher number for people in that group. Now, obviously, this is a great report. People are feeling better about their lives. They're feeling better about their financial situation, aka which they'll make them feel better about their lives. However, lots changed since the end of 2021. The stock market, I think, was at an all-time high at the end of 2021 and to start 2022 and then has plummeted. Now, we have not gotten to bear territory yet. We we got there on Friday and then rebounded. And then obviously we had a good Monday. So we are not in bear market territory, but the projections are we're going to be there soon enough. We have inflation holding steady above 8% and we have mortgage rates that are 200 basis points higher than they were a year ago. A lot can change in five months. And so I'm interested to know what that number is now and where people will be. And we'll find out. We'll find out next year, but we will have to wait a year to know what is going on with people and where they stand financially now. So this was a good report, but maybe not a reflection of where people are currently just five months after that report was done. Now let's stick with the good news though. So that was a good report. Let's stick with another or look at another good report. And since it was Monday, we got some data, weekly data from Altos Research. And well, last week was the first time since 2019, they saw inventory levels increase year over year. And that trend continued for the second week in a row. In fact, inventory levels jumped week over week, 8%. And yeah, Mike Simonson, who of course uh, leads these reports, does some great YouTube videos sort of explain these reports, said that this could be the largest week over week increase on record. I guess I didn't have that info um, readily available, but that was a comment that he made in the report that it could be the largest percentage. Because what's funny is that it was a 26,000 home increase week over week, which, you know, back when inventory levels are more normalized above a million, 26,000 isn't a big swing, but because inventory levels are so low that created an 8% move in positive territory for inventory. So now there's 344,000 homes on the market, which puts us 6% above where we were last year, which like I said, is impressive because it was just last week that we barely, but we did it, we're barely above where we were a year ago, the first year over year increase in inventory in three years. Very impressive. And now we're 6% above that level. But interestingly enough, prices continue to climb. However, a slowdown does seem imminent. It's coming. The price for a median single-family home hit another high at $443,000, up 11% from the same time last year, which is interesting because I looked at that number and I thought, ooh, are prices slowing? Because you know, you look at the Case-Shiller Index, you look at the uh, CoreLogic Report, you look at the FHFA Home Price Index, it's all like 17, 18, 19, 20% increase year over year. However, I was looking at some of the recent reports 
And that's where Altos sort of is week over week. Is I think it got up to about 13, 14. So you are seeing a little bit of slowing, but we've seen that before. So it's not entirely indicative of a slowdown yet. Yet. Now, homes on market with price cuts did climb. So there's a little bit more of a sign of a cooling down. They jumped to 22%. And I believe it was just a couple weeks ago, it was only at 16%. So that was a big jump. And in fact, Simonson's now projecting that by the end of the summer, we could get back to a normal rate of around 30%. So homes go to market, they realize they've overpriced the home and they've now pulled that back. And to be honest with you, I'd love to know what that number was at the peak. I didn't get a chance to look that up, but I'd have to assume zero, zero percent. I mean, you could list anything a couple months ago and it didn't matter what the price was you probably would have got at least a couple bites a couple nibbles <laughs> i mean i doubt it's ever been zero but i bet it was somewhat close and so now they're projecting that that number will be normalized and i'll say simonson's been pretty spot on with his projections he was one of the first people i saw who said that we were going to see another heat up of the housing market back in the beginning of January when most people were projecting that the slowdown was going to continue. He was the first one to point out that inventory levels are starting to climb and we could very soon see a year over year increase. And then we did last week. And so I wouldn't challenge him. He's been doing pretty good <laughs> with his projections. And it's important to remember that one of the reasons why we have not seen prices drop is because prices tend to lag inventory movement. Uh, this is not dissimilar to what we saw with the current rate hike cycle that we're in. Remember when mortgage rates started moving up, you actually saw a spike in home sales and prices because people were like, oh no. And then they rushed and we're like, we got to buy now because they knew where rates were going. And so you saw it took a while for the rising rates to finally be reflected in other data. And now we're seeing it, but it took a while. And you see kind of a similar thing when people know a market shift is coming. They have to decide whether they're going to be all in or if they're going to get out of the game. And you're always going to see that. And so prices are going to lag because as more and more buyers realize the market isn't as, as crazy as it was, now all of a sudden they can put a more reasonable offer in and it might get accepted. And the sort of emotion calms down. But it takes a while for people to realize that. All of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 hold on, there's another house available? There's another house available? Because for a while there, it was like a house became available and you had to put an offer in 20% over ask. <laughs> just to try and win that offer. And it was sometimes it was sight unseen, no due diligence, no, appra I mean, whatever to get your offer accepted. And now people are like, Oh wait, hold on. There's another house available. And ooh, let's go look at this one. And then, Ooh, ooh wait, well, look at all these houses. And so it takes a while for the consumer to see that that is going on. So it, it's, it's, it, it lags. So it's important to remember that we will finally see that reflected in prices just not yet. We are not seeing it yet, but always a great report from Altos. I appreciate their weekly data. It comes in very handy. And like I said, Simonson has been pretty spot on with his projections for housing. Uh, before we run out of time, I did want to talk. There was a great piece over at Bloomberg 
by Kristen Caps talking about um, the Biden plan to help with housing affordability. And we talked about that here on the podcast. I think it was last week the Biden report came out or the proposal came out. And I said, listen, I don't compliment Biden often, but I, I, I liked it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't love everything. I don't think housing vouchers. And I think that was in there. I didn't love everything, but I do like the idea of incentivizing rezoning so people have more control over their property i think reducing regulations these are all good things without a doubt so caps writes over at bloomberg about this backyard revolution where yimbies are taking on nimbies by literally building in their backyard like yes in my backyard, like literally their backyard. Uh, Caps writes, California is enjoying a backyard revolution. Permits for casitas, granny flats, additions, and other accessory dwelling units, or ADUs, shot up tenfold after state lawmakers passed bills in 2016 and 2017, legalizing them across the state. Oregon, Connecticut, and several cities have similar laws on the books. Now, the upshot of the state law is that local governments can't forbid property owners from building an ADU. And this is something that's very important about our system of government. It's kind of weird, right? Because everyone always assumes it's kind of like top down where the federal government has all of this power. And sure, the federal government has a lot of power but they're not the end all be all when it comes to government. If the constitution gives the federal government power, they're enumerated powers. They're the end all be all. But when it's not the federal government, it's supposed to go to the state. And that is true for local government as well. The state is the end all be all. The state can tell the federal government what to do. And the state can tell local municipalities what to do. A lot of people think, oh, local governments, you know, if you're going to go local, local's the best. And that's true. But the state can tell local municipalities what they can and cannot do. And so that's why when state laws are passed, we saw a similar thing here in North Carolina when they were looking at banning Uber, which is kind of funny to think about. It's so ubiquitous, but they were thinking about banning Uber. And here in North Carolina, they passed a law at the state level and said, no, local governments cannot ban Uber. Why would you ban Uber? Taxi unions, it's complicated, but there were attempts. And where I live here in Wilmington, there was a law passed to ban Uber. And then the state went, nope, and overrid it. (laughs) Said That's not happening. And that's sort of what's happening in California. Uh, Cavs also talks about manufactured homes and things that Biden is trying to do to make those easier for people to buy with regards to financing as well as the manufacturing of manufactured homes. So it's pretty awesome. If you want to read the whole thing, it is in the companion newsletter available every morning around 6 a.m. is when I send it out. Everything we talk about here on the podcast is in the newsletter as well. But we got to go. You guys enjoy your Tuesday. We'll see you back here Wednesday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always... Do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.